In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Well, for centuries, shepherds have used various methods, from staff to dogs, to keep their wandering sheep under their loving care. In recent times, shepherds have turned to more modern means, more sophisticated means, perhaps, and have used all sorts of things. One that has become more of a mainstay of late is what, to us in Texas, would look a little bit like a cattle grid that they would put all the way around a sheep pen. It's about eight feet wide, and the hooves of the sheep could not transgress across these uh, grids, or so they thought. 2006, in Yorkshire, England, a group of shepherds who had a large flock that were not only stubborn to pray, but rather crafty, had figured out a way around even that barrier. One sheep actually laid down and rolled over the guard (laughs) and discovered, indeed, it could be transgressed. So, of course, many others, observing the craftiness of their fellow sheep, had followed in due course, and with little time, the entire countryside, surrounding town, neighborhoods, town halls, squares, backyards, were filled with wayward sheep grazing on everything they could find. Shepherds rounded them all back up, got them back in the pen, still unaware of what exactly had taken place, and so, of course... They got out again and again and again. I'm not sure exactly what um, was put in place to finally keep them at bay, but they had to get even more creative and more sophisticated in their methods. And while these kind of flock of black sheep had thought that they had a wonderful adventure, of course, the shepherds who tended to them realized that they were at great risk as they wandered into roads and uh, many times were accosted by backyard dogs and um, found themselves in some rather precarious situations. These days, culturally, we like to liken groups of people to sheep. We think that sheep are somewhat um, dumb flock animals and they don't really know better. And so people use that as a derogatory term when they think of groups of people in that regard. But um, nothing more could be quite the opposite. Sheep are actually quite creative and crafty and are often prone to do their own thing regardless of everything they could need before them, which is given to them at the hands of their shepherd. So Scripture rightly uses this phrase, this image of sheep when it pertains to God's people and us. Certainly, if I look at my own heart, I would say I am just as prone to such an image as the next person. And this morning, as we reflect on this image of a shepherd, we recognize that the role of a shepherd, just even in culture, is one that is long-suffering, is patient, the labor of love and perseverance time and time again to call the wayward sheep back under his or her care to safeguard them, to seek them out, to redirect them time and time again. It's truly remarkable, and it's actually a very beautiful image to dwell upon. So this morning, on this day, which is traditionally considered Good Shepherd Sunday, let's turn to this short section from the Good Shepherd passage in John 10. 
where we find, as Jesus applies this to himself, two lessons about what it tells us about Jesus and our relationship to him, but then some things that it causes us to act upon and ponder as well. Now, this is the first in verse 11 of two places where Jesus opens with this I am phrase, I am the good shepherd. Most uh, passages of scripture in the English language will capture that as I am the good shepherd. But that word good actually has a much richer meaning than our language tends to capture. And it can mean good, yes, but it can also mean beautiful. I think there's something wonderful to dwell on there for just a moment because it kind of unlocks a further depth to this meaning of the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd that Jesus lays before us. Because when we think of good, we think of someone who does the right thing, who may be morally upright, faithful in their job. And while it includes that, beautiful is attractive. It's winsome. It's delightful. And so as we walk through this, we can think of this in many ways. The shepherd that is good or beautiful, Jesus even notes in real time, is evidenced in the way even in which they engage their flock. Seeking out the wayward ones and the imagery becomes so rich because Jesus says, indeed, the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, is different from just the hireling or just the, the everyday shepherd, if you will, because the good shepherd is willing to do what, Jesus tells us, lay down his life for the sheep. Now, of course, we know that Jesus did that quite literally on this side of Easter. But the image there is one that those who would be hearing him teach would know. They know the difference between a hireling who's just called to take care of the sheep and a good shepherd who either owns the sheep or just truly embodies the vocation of a shepherd. It's selfless. A hireling looks to their own interests. It's a job. I receive wages for it. When the tough gets going, I get going because I didn't sign up for that. But the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, sees it as their life and as such embodies every aspect of what it looks like to be a good shepherd. And so when Jesus talks about this and says his, his own life is one that does not even matter in over and against this call, his care and concern supersedes whatever must be given up or foregone. It is incredibly a good and beautiful thing to dwell upon. And for us in the West, for whom this shepherd image isn't even a normal one, we know this difference, right? We know those people um, who work and have a job, and it's only that. It pays the bills, and they really could do anything. In fact, they don't even sometimes like what they do. And then we see those, and you can think of those names and those people for whom teaching is a gift. They love it. They love those kids, and they'll never get compensated to do what they do. Those coaches who, who so give up their time freely that they just want to see those kids succeed. Um, or those nurses that don't just see it as seven on, you know, three days on and uh, two days off, but they are there every chance they can be because they love it and they love the people for whom they tend to. We get this image over and against a hireling as Jesus spells it out. So in these opening verses, we, we glean something wonderful, something beautiful about Jesus in this image of a good shepherd, namely something quite obvious that the good shepherd is quite simply committed to us. He's committed to us on every level. It's selfless. 
not only laying down his life as Jesus did on this side of Easter as we look at it, but it was selfless from the moment that he stepped into the world in the first place. Jesus was committed to that goal, the cross, and ultimately our redemption in the midst of so many goals, if we could call them that, or aspirations that came before him. Even at the beginning of his ministry where um, temptations of power in the wilderness faced him or the mobs that wanted to drag him off and make him their king and ruler presented themselves. Or in the midst of villages where the accolades would come to Jesus who had healed them. And wouldn't he just stay a bit longer, heal the next village? That had to be something hard to pull away from because he knew something greater was at work. Or even the pain that he had to endure, that he knew he was coming on the days and weeks and months even leading up to his crucifixion, that he could have sidestepped, and yet he didn't. Every time, with unflinching commitment, he knew where he was headed, namely to draw us to himself. And that is a good, it's a beautiful thing to reflect upon. So as we think about that and Jesus' commitment to you and me, that he came to seek and save us. It leaves us with a what of us sort of a question. But as Christians, we're called to walk in the way of Jesus, to walk in his footsteps. And we, as his followers, are called to be no less good, no less beautiful, if you will, in the world around us. What does that look like? It looks like laying down our own interests, our own goals, our own ideas and agendas, building our own kingdoms, putting those on pause for the pursuit of Jesus' ends in this life. Quite literally, to bear the name Christian, as you know, means little Christ, which as such means that it isn't just something we give due to one day a week or two, um, or find a closed family of people we like to call a church that's no more than a glorified club, but it's a way of life, a way that we embody, just as our good shepherd did not to just bear the benefits of salvation that we've received, to receive our wages as a mere hireling in a sense, whereby we do that and we know we're all right and God will sort the rest of them out. Um, but no, to embody that, to be those who are beautiful, who go out selflessly in the midst of life in every aspect so as to reconcile others to God as we have been reconciled, to bring peace in a way that um, no other thing or group or power in this world can do so. That amidst all the siren calls of love and truth, we point to the only true love and truth that can be found in Christ Jesus. To be those who use their gifts and their talents in this life, not seeking their own ends or their own affirmation or even the accolade of others, but doing those things that God has equipped us to do merely for the advancement and the benefit of his kingdom. We're called to embody what we've received if we bear his name and to be committed to him above all else. Now, why would we do that? Well, why did Jesus do that? We actually discover it um, back in verse 14 in this latter half of this short passage before us. And a second lesson as we encounter the second of these I am phrases this morning. Jesus begins again, I am the good shepherd, the beautiful shepherd, who is committed to the sheep. Why? Because I know my own and my own know me. That's an incredible line. To be known 
and to know, we don't even begin to comprehend the depth of that. Jesus applies it in the shepherding image, and we can let our minds wander for just a moment on what knowing one's flock would look like for a shepherd. It would include knowing the specific sheep that were particularly more skittish, that would require a more loving hand, the ones that were a little more prone to wander away that would require a quick hook to bring them back in, to know the ones that often got distracted, that would need pulling in when the pastures were going to move with the rest of the flock to greener areas. A good shepherd even knew the needs of her flock even before the flock did, stirring them early in the morning when they were huddled up as a flock and really probably not really ready to get out of the pen at that point, knowing which pastures to move them to because these had been overgrazed and there was not enough for everyone to partake of, knowing where the refreshing waters were in the midst of the puddles at their feet that were more convenient. A good shepherd knew her flock, and indeed, that was beautiful. So Jesus, applying this to himself, adds even more rich of a meaning than not just knowing and being known, but then he even cues to us what the depth of this knowledge of one another looks like. And he says there in verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, it's that depth of knowledge that he has of us and that he wants us to have of him. Now, we can't even begin to articulate the depth of that knowledge between those two members of the Trinity. We can't even fathom it. We can't even really fathom what it means to truly know someone in a pure way. Because of this side and this broken and fallen world that we live in, um, everyone has lofty goals of both being known and known, but we always are often a little walled up. We often have to check our own self-interests in relationship to others. Am I really just wanting to know them, or am I seeking them for something they can give me or, or we can benefit from? We don't really get this pure selfless love, this pure selfless knowledge that comes in perfect relationship, this side of the veil in the broken world in which we live. And yet Jesus says, that's the kind of knowledge I have of you. I want you to have of me and to have together, right? And he extends it as this passion of this passage, excuse me, passionate passage, closes, um, saying that that um, knowledge of one another isn't just for the elect, just the, just the flock of Israel. But then he says there are other flocks, the Gentiles. It extends to all of the people in every corner of the world who would but seek to know him and be known by him. It's incredible. And we see the fruits of that in Acts and other places as that so begins towards that end. That every heart would find rest in his presence and purpose in following him. And it's something, again, that we must reflect on. Namely, that the Good Shepherd doesn't just have commitment to us, but he truly cares for us in a way that we can't even begin to comprehend. And as we reflect on that, we're also called to reflect on the fact that as we have received, so we are to give. It's not just for us to have this great love of God, to find it in community together, but with such a, a pure and selfless love to lay down our own agendas and goals and aims and to pursue those who have yet to discover it. And indeed, that's a beautiful thing. It's a refreshing thing. It's actually a winsome thing 
because the world doesn't really ever see that. We always know that it's thinly veiled in some other purpose or ends. And so when they see something truly beautiful, reaching out to both those of high degree and the poorest of the poor with with absolutely no agenda apart that they might come to find Jesus as we have found them and to reach them where they may be found, it's beautiful. When we sit and empower the younger generation so that they might come to know how to walk in the way of Jesus and to give away what we have learned freely in the ways that they may do so. It's beautiful. When we invite and respect and include our elders in the conversations, it's a good and beautiful thing to pursue the life of Jesus and to walk in his ways together. And when we do so, they will know us, as you heard in that second reading, third, I guess, if we include the psalm, um, that by our love. They'll know us by our love, as First John says. William Temple of this passage, towering mind and figure, wrote of this section, and I quote, The one hope is that as folk come to know us, they find, in fact, another. Not the sheep turned shepherd, but the shepherd, the beautiful one. It will be so if we abide in him and he in us. It's a challenge to us all. First, beloved, we must reflect on the ways in God's goodness that Jesus is indeed committed to you and to me. But then we must also, from that place, as we recount his faithfulness and the ways that we have um, found his healing and restoration, how he's protected us, how he provides for us, that we indeed then may show the world that, to be so committed to him as he is to us, that that care overflows in an abundance of love out into the world, that it points the world to the only good, the only beautiful shepherd who has their self-interest at heart. So that, as this passage closes, there may be indeed one flock under the only one good, true, beautiful shepherd who will lead them to pastures of refreshment and joy and restoration into his presence forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.